The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. We're going to be looking at the first part of uh, John 17. This is the, the uh, Lord's Prayer. This is the real Lord's Prayer. There is a Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, but it's actually the disciples' prayer. It was Jesus teaching people how to pray. He gives them a pattern. And you all remember that, right? We can recite that. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven those who trespass against us. He goes on to explain, if you don't forgive those who trespass against you, then don't expect God to forgive you your trespasses. Because that is a manifestation of faith, isn't it? For you to do that based upon the work of Christ. What we're looking at in John 17 is this Lord's Prayer, and primarily what he's doing, he's praying that God will be glorified through him, that God would glorify him so that he could glorify the Father. One of the amazing things in the New Testament is when it talks about Jesus and and the reason why he suffered for us, his motivation, uh, in almost every place except one in the book of uh, Revelation, there might be another place I'm not aware of, but I'm pretty sure almost every place there is where Jesus talks about his own motive. Why did he die for you? He says it was because of his love for the Father. Isn't that something? It was because of his love for the Father that he was willing to lay down his life for you. And in this section, he is is telling the Father that he wants him to be glorified, and that's why he wants him to glorify himself, so that through the crosswork of Jesus Christ, the Father would be glorified. Let me read to you these first five verses of John chapter 17. You've heard all of 16. Now listen to these first five verses. This is when Jesus is praying for himself in this prayer. He says, it says, Jesus spoke these things and he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. You see what he's saying? I want you to glorify me so I can glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is a little bit confusing at first when you first read this. He says that he's given him all authority over the entire human race. If you remember in, the, in, the, in Matthew 28, 18, the Great Commission, that Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and upon earth, therefore. And then he tells him to go and make disciples. And so that's the reason he's called us to make disciples is because all authority has been given to him in heaven and upon earth. All of humanity is under his authority. But God has also given him some, and and at at this point in time, it's the, the, the disciples, all these disciples who have put their faith in Christ, and they have received eternal life. They have eternal life. And, and so Jesus is telling him that he has done these things. He says, even, verse 2, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that is Jesus saying, just, just as you gave me all authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given me, he may give eternal life, that I may give eternal life. This is eternal life. This is eternal life. This is a purpose clause. It's telling you what eternal life is. Eternal life is that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Stop and think about that a second. God has equipped you to know him. Jesus has done this through the the new birth. You have come to have eternal life so that you have this capacity to actually know God. 
Now, this is significant because it's not talking about you knowing things about God. If I asked you if you knew about all the attributes of God, you know, do you know what omniscience is and omnipotence and all that? Maybe you could answer, maybe you couldn't. But that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about knowing about him. He's talking about knowing him. Do you know the difference between those two things? Like some of you know your spouse. You just don't know much about them, but you know them. <laughs> and that's, that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about the fact that God has given us eternal life so that we could have a personal relationship with God, so we could know him personally. I remember J.I. Packer wrote a book called Knowing God. And then a few years later, I read this article he wrote explaining why he called it that, Knowing God. He said, because I didn't want people to think this book would would bring you to the place where you knew about God. I wanted you to know this is about knowing God. You see the difference? Knowing God is knowing him personally, having a relationship with him. And so God gives you this eternal life so that we could experience this. We could actually experience what it's like to have a relationship with God. And so when when Jesus calls him Father here, he is manifesting his confidence in interacting with the Father. Now it's true, he he has been his eternal father. He's been his father from all eternity. But the same thing goes is with us. We have the opportunity to go to the father and we can call him father. In fact, we're told that we can call him Abba. Abba is an Aramaic word which means something like dear father. I was at a, I was at a youth meeting one time when I was old, but I went there to teach. The guy asked me to come and teach. And so what he did was, these were a bunch of kids from a Christian school, Christian high school. And so he said, before I ask Frank to come and teach, would you, let's all pray. And so he had different people pray, about five or six of them. And this one girl, about the third person, when she started, this is how she started. Dear Daddy in heaven. And there was a few little chuckles. And even myself, I thought, that's a strange way to address God, isn't it? I got to tell you, that is, that's what Abba Father means. It means you're my dear father. I know you and you know me. We are together. We are one. In fact, Jesus keeps praying this. I want them to be one with you just like you and I are one. We have a relationship with God. This is what discipleship is all about, by the way. We want to have an influence on people so they come to have a deep relationship with the Father. It's like he is their most, uh, the closest companion they have. You know, Paul says that we're all, we all have a weakness. We have an infirmity. It's translated in the King James. We have an infirmity. It's a weakness. And here's what it is. We don't know how to pray as we ought. Uh, what, what Jesus is doing here, there's, there's three parts to this. You can probably see it in your Bible. They might even have a heading for each of those three parts. The first, verses 1 through 5, is Jesus praying for himself. Because he's facing the cross. This is that moment when he's just about to go to, to the cross and die for our sins. And so what, this is what he asked the Father. He said, Father, the hour has come. Now, you may not be familiar with that term, but it's used several times in the New Testament. The first probably 12 chapters of this book, Jesus, what he said about the hour was it hasn't come. It hasn't come. It hasn't come. In chapter 2, there's a wedding of Cana of Galilee, and Jesus is there. He goes to this wedding with his mother and with his disciples. And in the middle of the wedding feast, this was after the wedding had taken place and they were having a meal together and so forth, Mary, the mother of Jesus, said, like most mothers do, they need something. 
And then he told her what it was. They don't have any more wine. Now, they weren't uh, teetotalers, so they drank wine for celebration. And so they were celebrating, but the wine was gone. And so Jesus says to her in a very son-like way, what does that have to do with you and me, lady? He actually said woman, but I thought lady, it sounded better. And so then what she does, she doesn't argue with him. She just says to the servant, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And so Jesus, sure enough, told him what to do. But he said the reason he didn't need to do this was because his hour had not come. What does that mean? Well, the hour... Two, there are two words actually are used of Jesus, the time and the situation when he goes to the cross. One is called the hour. The other is called something else, which will come to me in a second. <laughs> that uh, he is going to enter into a situation unlike anything he ever has. He's come into this world in order to die for us. And he's about to go to the cross in which he will die for us. And so his hour is that hour, it's that moment in time when he is handed over to men to do with him what they want to do with him, and they crucify him. And so he says the hour has not come. But then we get into the, we get into the, the book of John a little further, and we find out in, uh, that what he does is he comes to the place where he knows when the hour is. And so he's saying here, the hour has come. You see that? Father, the hour has come. It's time for me to go to the cross. Glorify your son. And you think, wait a minute, why would you call that glorify? Glorify your son and he's going to the cross? How does that glorify Jesus Christ for him to go to the cross and die for your sins? Have you ever thanked him for that? Have you ever been among a people that begin to just praise God for what he's done in Christ Jesus? Have you ever heard people say, thank you, Father, for this is the most wonderful gift I've ever received? You see, God was glorified in what Jesus did because Jesus did what no one else could do. He went to the cross and he paid the penalty for our sins so that everybody sitting in this room who's put their faith in Christ has a relationship with God. They have forgiveness and they have eternal life. And it's because of what Christ did. And so that's why he's saying he's going to glorify the Father because what he does is exactly what God wants to see done. He wants people to be saved and forgiven and made new. And so Jesus glorifies the Father by going to the cross and suffering. Now, in this particular section, he's, he is talking about, he's asking God for things for himself. He's going to ask also for the disciples of Jesus, and then he's going to ask for us in regards to us, those of us who come to faith as a result of hearing the testimony of the disciples. How did you find out about Christ dying on a cross for you? You found out by somebody telling you what is written in the word of God. It's written that Jesus died for our sins and that he was buried and rose again. And you believed that report. There's a, there's a place in 1 John 5, 11 and 12, some of you know it. Uh, this is the record. And that what that means is this is the testimony of God. He's given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. And whoever has the son has the life. But you couldn't have the son until he gave his life for you. And then he, he calls on you to believe on him, to put your trust in him, to receive him as your savior and king. And when we did that, we entered into this relationship with God where our sins were forgiven and we were brought into a family and now we can call him father. Isn't that amazing? Now, when we, if we would have been sitting with Jesus when he was praying and when he called God his father, that would have blown us away, wouldn't it? 
because we realize we have become his, his sons and daughters through faith in Christ. But this is one who has been, had this father from all eternity. He has known the father as his father from all eternity. But now something's about to happen. And so he prays for himself. He's going to pray also for his disciple, for the disciples of Jesus. These are the ones that the father gave him specifically to give them eternal life. Why did he give Peter to Jesus? That he might give him eternal life. Now, isn't it amazing when you look at those guys and you think, you know, Jesus kind of got taken advantage of by a few of these guys, didn't he? They weren't everything they were cracked up to be. Some people have written books about the disciples, and some of them is just, it's really amazing the kind of description they give of these men. And yet Jesus gladly received them because he wanted to give them a gift, the gift of eternal life. And so he goes before the Father, and he's very confident. And in Psalm 123, it tells us something that kind of explains a, a phenomena you'll see if you're around Jewish people who pray. And that is, every time they pray, they lift their eyes up like this. They don't close their eyes. They open their eyes, and they look up. Now, in Psalm 123, it tells us that when they do that, it's because they know that God is there. Do you know he's there? Now, as Christians, most of the time when we pray, we close our eyes. They open their eyes because they look up. Even though they can't see him physically, they know he's there. And so they begin to pray to him. And that's what was going on here. He's confident in praying to the Father. In fact, he's going to call him Abba, Father. Remember when he is suffering, when, when things are really getting difficult, he actually prays. In Mark chapter 14, verse 36, it says he calls him Father. Now, he has just said, if there's, and this is when he says, Abba, Father, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me. And he stops right there. And he says, but not my will. Your will be done. See, it was God's will for him to die for our sins. Um, isn't that something that always baffles me? That the Father sent him to die for my sins and your sins. He sent him to die so that we could be brought into a relationship with God and be forgiven and be made whole, to be made a child of God. The Father sent his son to do that. And that's why every time he talks about it, he says he's motivated by the fact that he loves the Father. He obeys the Father because he loves him. And see, that's what obedience is in the Bible. It's always an act of obedience, an act of love towards God because he has given us commands and we know his love for us. What is he, why has he commanded the things that he has commanded you to do? Because he loves you. And therefore, we don't take these as burdens. We don't take them as weighing us down. We can't hardly stand it. Instead, we understand that these commandments are manifestations of the love of the Father to us. Now, we usually see it a lot easier in other people. I've always found that to be true. You watch people as they obey God. They live their life in obedience to him. And they love people. And they manifest this love for people in such incredible ways. That is the benefit of having a God like this. And so as Jesus calls out to him, he has this confidence with him in prayer. And so he comes to him and he bears his heart. He looks up into the heavens knowing that he's there and he begins to speak to him and he begins to call upon him. He's confident in praying to the Father. And that's why he can call him Abba Father. Now he's also committed to this. He says the hour has come. And he started praying. 
The hour has come. This is about time when he's going to be handed over to godless men who are going to hang him on a cross. They're going to beat him, and they're going to hang him on a cross and crucify him. But he takes this as joy because he knows what he's accomplishing. I know a kid, I know an 18-year-old kid who's about to have surgery pretty soon. He has a leg problem. And they're going to have to break his leg, leg several times in order to get it to grow back so it's longer than, as long as the other leg. Have you ever heard of that? I've never heard of it, but I guess they do that. Breaks the leg, and then it's going to be extended. It's going to get longer. And I think, man, if I had that hanging over my head, I couldn't sleep at night. I can't sleep at night anyway. And, and I certainly wouldn't sleep at night if I knew that was hanging over my head. But Jesus knows exactly what he's facing. He's about to go to the cross and die for your sins. Now, the amazing thing is, it's, it's going to be horrendous. It's going to be painful. And, and on the cross, if you remember, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. They actually have songs of that. That's Aramaic. And that's what he said on the cross. You know what it's called today? It's called the orphan's cry. In other words, he was abandoned. He was abandoned. I, uh, I got to tell you, I am so very grateful that my wife has never abandoned me because I've given her many reasons to. Isn't it wonderful to know you have a father who will never abandon you? You'll never have to say to him, why have you forsaken me? That will never have to come from your lips because he will never forsake you. We're told that in Romans chapter 8. Nothing will ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And you're thinking, well, what about, you know, what happened last year? There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He's a loving father. And he deals with us. He deals with us because he loves us. And so, so Jesus, as he's bringing this to him, and he's looking to the cross, he's looking for this moment when he's going to be made sin for us. And he's rejoicing in it because of who, his relationship with the Father. He's doing this to please the Father and to glorify the Father. Because we do that. We give, good, we give the Father thanks, don't we? Because of what he's done in Christ Jesus. Because he's the one who sent his Son. What does John 3.16 say? Does anybody know that verse? John 3.16, what does it say? Yeah, so who loved the world? Yeah, you see, the Father loved the world so much he sent his Son to die for us. His Son is the only one who could save us because he's the kinsman redeemer. The Bible talks about the kinsman redeemer under the law. It was a person, if you got into trouble, let's say you, you got into real deep debt and you were about to lose everything you had, but you, were, you had a relative. You had a relative who loved you and was willing to use his resources to bail you out. That was what a kinsman redeemer was. Well, Jesus is the ultimate kinsman redeemer. You see why he became incarnate? That is why he became a human being? Because he wanted to be related to you. He enters into a relationship with you so that he's related to you, and he goes to the cross and pays your debt that you couldn't pay. And he sets you free. That's Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. You all know this. Uh, he, that is the Father, made him, that is the Son, who knew no sin. Jesus was totally without sin. He, the Father, made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. 
Is that incredible? Shouldn't that, shouldn't that produce in us a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving for what God has done for us? This is the most amazing reality there is, that God would send his son. When I was talking to this young man who's about to have the surgery, I was thinking, wow, I don't know why they would even tell him. It looks like you keep that secret until the day it happens, because it just seems so horrendous to have that hanging over your head. They're going to break my leg three times. Well, Jesus was going to the cross. He was going to go to the cross and stand in your place and suffer the full payment of your sins, paid in full, so you could be set free, and so you could enter into a relationship with his Father and with him. And that's what this passage is about. And so he says to them in verse 7, now they have come to know that everything you have given me, he's talking to the Father, now everyone knows that everything you have given to me is from you. He's talking about his disciples. He told them that what he received, what he had, was from the Father. And he goes on, he says, for the words which you gave me, is to the Father, he says, the words that you gave me, I have given to them. And they received them. And they truly understood that I came forth from you. And they believed that you sent me. They believed that you sent me. <laughs> they believed that this gift came from somebody who wanted to save us. Somebody wanted to save us. You know, when this request came in for this family with all the children, I know what this produces in some of us. It's like, well, this is a scam. They probably don't even have any kids. Well, we'll check all that out. But if you want to help this family, if you want to, you can. And our deacons will make sure that this money goes to where it's supposed to go to help this family. But um, the, the amazing thing is, is that we can, we can function like children of God. We, we can actually care about people. Isn't that amazing? That we can care about people. That it can touch our hearts. That, that our hearts would be touched. I wanted to show a video. I have a video of my grandson, but it's just too emotional for me. I can't take it, and so I didn't want to get up here and you know, just break down crying, so I decided not to do that. But there's a song that goes behind it. It's, uh, he knew my name. He knows my name in past tense, it's present tense. And I thought about that when I watched that thing and to realize that God actually cares about our grandson, Austin. He actually cares about him. It's amazing because he can't do anything for him. He, he, can, he can't walk. He can't talk. He can't take care of himself. So he's just a bundle of needs. And yet the father loves him and loves his family and loves his people. What a wonderful, wonderful thing we have in our relationship with the living God. And so Jesus is committed to pray, and he says, our, the hour has come. And I, I thought, well, how do I know when to pray? How do you know when to pray? Well, I'll tell you, there are times when God allows things to befall us, and we know we have to pray, don't we? I can remember when my wife and I experienced the closest relationship in prayer we have ever had. It was because we had a pressing need going on in our family, and it drove us to pray. We began to call upon the name of the Lord because we knew he was the only one who could deal with this. And so we laid it before his feet and asked him to work, and it drew us together. And uh, that's what he wants to do, is, is he wants you to come to understand why we pray together. 
There's a group, huge advantage of praying together with brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, uh, it, it, it's, it's wonderful when God brings needs within the body of Christ and we begin to feel the needs of those that we love and care about. And uh, the interesting thing that happened with uh, Jesus in the midst of his ministry, he kept saying, the hour has not come, the hour has not come, like he did at the wedding of Cain of Galilee. But then something happened. And it's, it's found in John chapter 12, verse 20. Let me, let's go there. If you open your Bibles there. John chapter 20, verse 12. And this is what it says. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they wanted to go to the feast and see him. And it says, they took branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, the Lord saves. Blessed be the name of the Lord even the king of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it. It is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. So here's this glorious man. He's sitting on a little colt of a donkey riding into the city of Jerusalem. But that's what had been prophesied. That's how the king was going to come into Jerusalem. Then it says, These things the disciples did, did not understand at first that these were written about him and that he had done these things to him. So the people who were there with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, they saw this supernatural power that was manifested through Jesus. He raised Lazarus from the dead. For this reason also, the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are not doing any good. They wanted to kill all this enthusiasm about Jesus. But he says, look, the world's gone crazy supporting him. Now there were some Greeks. Get this. There were some Greeks, people of another nationality. There were some Greeks among the, those who were going up to worship the feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and they began to ask him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. These are Gentiles. They're not a part of, of Israel. Jesus came to save people in Israel at first, right? Philip came and he told Andrew. And Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. Now get what Jesus says. This is amazing. It says, and Jesus said to them, the hour has come. The hour has come. For the, because the Greeks came, looking him up. So the, the, the hour has come. And the reason the hour had come is this was prophesied that God was going to save Gentiles who come to Jesus to make the Jews jealous so that they will turn to him in faith. Now, there were a few Jews, there were 3,000 of them who got saved. But John says in John 1, uh, he came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. But as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. So there had been not much response by the Jews in following Jesus in comparison. But when these Gentiles came and asked to see him, he saw this as evidence that the hour had come. He's about ready to go to the cross. And Jesus doesn't shrink back. I'm always amazed at that. You know, I know when uh, my dad used to spank me when I was a little kid, and he would always say this. Son, I know you don't believe this, but this hurts me a lot more than it hurts you. You believe that? I didn't believe it. I do believe it now a bit because I know how it feels. 
as a parent. And uh, so here are these Gentiles, and Jesus says, the hour has come. Because God is going, he said he would bring Gentiles to hear the message. And it was these Gentiles who were going to be the last event before he goes to the cross and pays for sins. And that's what he's going to do. Now, I think that we should know when we should pray. Uh, I, if I were you, I would set this on my calendar somewhere where you, you know that you're going to pray at a certain time of day, maybe two or three times a day. And these things that we prayed about today, be praying about these continually. Continue to ask the Father to, to work in power in these situations. What was, what was his motivation to pray? His motivation, we're told, is that God would be glorified. That God would be glorified. Isn't that something? Um, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, He died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. The fear of the Lord is the, is the wisdom of God, isn't it? The fear of man is a snare. You don't have to live in fear as a believer. The wonderful thing is you now have a heavenly father who's concerned about you. And he's given you the spirit so that the spirit could take care of the weakness that you have. And I just as I said, your weakness is you don't know how to pray as you ought. I say that not because I know something about your prayer life. It's because this is what the Bible says. It says we have an infirmity. We don't know how to pray as we ought. And so God gives us the Holy Spirit to intercede with, with groanings too deep for words. That is referring to, not, that's not referring to speaking in tongues. It's referring to the Spirit groaning in agony over your needs being met. He actually cares about you. Isn't it great to have somebody alongside of you when you have a need who says, I want to be here with you. I want to make sure everything's being done that needs to be done for you. I care about you. We have a father like that in heaven. And so he sends the Holy Spirit to live in us. And he is the one who intercedes for us. He calls out to the father and he expresses his deep, deep desire as he's groaning of us having our needs met. This is what is happening. We have a savior, a glorious savior. And he prays to the Father because he wants the Father to be glorified. He wants the Father to be glorified in dying for you. Have you ever thought about that? That the Father wanted to see his Son glorified by dying for you. And so he listened to the groanings of the Spirit. And he cares about you. So, so Jesus prays that the Father would be glorified through dying for your sins and being raised and applying his work to your life. I'll tell you, I can't imagine how much more boisterous and glorious it's going to be when we enter into the presence of Christ. And you're all going to be rejoicing because your hearts are going to be set free. And you're going to be able to rejoice in what God has done for you. You're going to be able to call on his name and give him thanks because he has, he has acted with such great love and concern for you. He cares about you. And he's met your needs. And he wants you to know that. He wants you to respond to that truth. And uh, he's also told you, you can pray, Abba, Father. You can pray knowing confidently that the Father is your dear Father and he cares about you. He knows what's going on in your life. I've been reading a little book a guy gave me. It's called uh, A Crook in the, in the Lot. And what that means, it's an old expression. This, is a, this guy's a Puritan. It was a Puritan uh, Timothy John, uh, Boston, 
And he wrote this book about this, and he called it A Crook and a Lot. And that is, when you go through suffering of one kind or another, and you can't figure out, why is God not eliminating this? You ever felt like that? Why doesn't God take this out of my life? Well, because James tells us he allows us to suffer for a good reason, because he loves us and he cares about us, and he's going to teach us through our suffering. He's going to actually teach us when things aren't the way they should be. In the the book of Ecclesiastes, I think it's chapter uh, 7, verse 13, it says nobody can... No one can straighten out what God bends. And that's what, that's what that expression is talking about. When bad things are happening to us in our Christian life, and we can't figure out, why doesn't it go away? You ever wonder that? Why doesn't it go away? Why doesn't it just vanish? Because God has something he wants to do in your life because of his love for you. He actually wants to do something wonderful that you're going to give him thanks for. But you have to go through it. So it's like in... in James chapter 1, it says that our suffering produces endurance, but we have to allow allow endurance to have its perfect work. We have to go through it. We have to go through it. And sometimes, you know, when we're thinking, why is God allowing this? He He usually doesn't tell us, but he has a real good reason, and that is because of his love for you. He wants to do a work in you. He wants to do a deep and profound work in you. He wants to give you a deep faith and confidence. It has great effect in your life. And God will use you as an instrument in his hands. So let me close in prayer and pray for you. But I, I do pray that you would, uh, you would continue to pray for Austin Refner and for Samantha Winters uh, and ask the Lord to act and work in this and deliver them uh, and, and that you would have the joy of seeing that happen and giving God praise for it. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you so much for the way that you work in our lives, for the things you take us through. We thank you that you care about us and you manifest it in so many ways we just can't miss it. We're amazed by it, Father, and we pray that we would have confidence in you. We would have confidence even when things are not going the way we want them to go. We would have confidence because we know that your love for us is greater than our suffering. And we're told that the things that we go through in in this life, the things that we suffer in this life are going to be used by you to produce glorious, glorious things in our life. And when we step into your presence, we're going to understand. So I pray that you'd work in our lives, Father. Use us, we pray, in any way you choose. We want to have the same attitude Jesus did. Yes, we'd like you to take this, this cup from us but not our will. Your will be done. Please accomplish your purposes in our life, we pray today. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.